This is a Clark University podcast. As the story goes, or the myth goes, he had a large cherry tree out in this yard. He had a ladder that he had made. He climbed it one evening at dusk, and it was one of those very, very clear, clear, beautiful nights. And he had just finished reading H.G. Uh, Wells' War of the Worlds. No one would have believed in the last years of the 19th century that human affairs were being watched keenly and he looked up at the stars and said, wouldn't it be amazing if we could create a device to take us to Mars and beyond? And he came down from the cherry tree and he said he was a different boy. He was about 17 years old at the time. And he declared that his anniversary day. And each year at his diary, he celebrated that day. And then in 1938, the tree was destroyed by the hurricane. And he writes in his diary, tree destroyed by hurricane, must go on alone. Charles Slacken is telling the story of a young Robert Goddard. Charles has been long fascinated by Goddard, known as the father of American rocketry. On March 16, 1926, Goddard launched the first liquid-fueled rocket from a farm in Auburn, Massachusetts. Though the rocket only shot up 41 feet, Goddard's research established the groundwork that would eventually lead to spaceflight. Ninety-seven years later, the gravity of Goddard's accomplishment has inspired scientists and dreamers for decades. Here's planetary scientist and astronomer Carl Sagan in an episode of the landmark television series Cosmos. In order to build a rocket capable of reaching high altitudes, Goddard had to create the principles of an entirely new technology, He invented the basic components that propel, stabilize, and guide the modern rocket. It was painstaking and difficult work, but Goddard took the many setbacks in stride. He sifted the wreckage of each experiment for clues to guide the next. Constantly refining old techniques and inventing new ones, he gradually raised the rocket from a dangerous toy and set it on its way to becoming an interplanetary vehicle. I'm Melissa Hansen, a producer in Clark's communications office, and this is Challenge Change. Charles Slatkin and Robert Goddard have a few things in common. Both are Clark graduates. Goddard received a master's degree in 1910 and a PhD in 1911, and Charles received his bachelor's degree in 1974. Both were also Clark professors. Goddard taught physics and Charles taught film production and photography. Now, Charles owns Goddard's boyhood home in Worcester. When the 1825 home at 1 Talawanda Drive went on the market in 2021, Charles made a quick decision. I just kind of had this crazy moment. Called up a friend who was a realtor. It was an open house that morning. He came to the house, told me what was going on, that it's going to sell in 24 to 48 hours. All the open land next to it had already been sold off for development. But I just said, buy it. And didn't tell my wife, because... Because I knew it had to happen, you know, within 12 or 14 hours, because just at that point, it was the real estate market was very hot. I went ahead and did it and have fallen in love, and it's become 
by purpose and by passion. Charles describes himself as a space nerd who grew up during the space race. He first came across Goddard's name in a book around age 10. I sat in PS 139 in Brooklyn and listened to Alan um, Shepard. I think in the fifth or sixth grade, I went to our local school science fair. And I'd always been interested in science, and everyone assumed I was going to be a scientist or a doctor like my father. But I picked up this book, um, Great Adventures of the 20th Century. And sure enough, there's Thomas Edison and Graham Bell and, you know, the invention of the, the microscope, etc. And there's Robert Goddard, father of modern rocketry. And I think it was my first introduction to, God, he's a local guy, but I'd never heard of him before. So that was my first kind of glimpse into Goddard. And then before coming to Clark, my mother actually had found one of those little miniature books, The Autobiography of Robert Goddard, which is incomplete. It doesn't finish up his whole life story. But I remember glancing through it, not realizing I was going to end up at Clark University. Just like Goddard had big dreams looking up at the sky from his cherry tree, Charles has a grand vision for this home. Maybe it's one classroom at a time. Maybe, you know, kids build a rocket in school and we fire it off in the, in the field. Um, maybe we use it for think tanks and ideation about science and space. And I've already offered it to a number of organizations around the city just to, what a cool place to meet because it has, has a nice vibe to it. Uh, the sunroof is really cool. Charles Lindbergh sat there years ago. In terms of moving forward, one, one thing I know we want to have the house do is point to the future as opposed to point to the past. It's not a place to come and say, Goddard sat on that chair and Goddard, you know, drank his coffee over there, etc. You know, let's revere Goddard. It's, it's more of a place like, wow, this is kind of where it started. And here was this, this young kid who had a vision and somehow was really persnickety and persevered and made incredible things happen to the point where, you know, the Webb telescope is looking back in time was, was, built at a place named after him. So we're talking about maybe having a charrette next fall, ideally on Goddard's anniversary Cherry Tree Day, October 26th, and uh, really invite in the local uh, Worcester Historic Organizations, um, Clark University, WPI, um, the Goddard School, uh, NASA, Smithsonian folks, and, and and really get together and hopefully kick off what to do about the 100th anniversary of Goddard's launch in 2026, but also come up with best practices of what to do with the house. I think it's an incredible opportunity to not only celebrate Goddard's achievement, but all the scientists, engineers, mathematicians, visioneers, and, and people that dream big. So I'm hoping to um, use this centennial not only to promote Goddard's legacy, but use it to inspire this next generation, you know, the Mars generation, so to speak. And I don't think, you know, I don't think a lot of people even appreciate nowadays there's, there's this whole misconception that space is, you know, all about space tourism, and it's all sort of a, you know, a waste of time when there's so many troubles on Earth, and yet most of space exploration these days really involves remote sensing, you know, really monitoring climate change, telecommunications, the internet. I mean, we would have, wouldn't have the connectivity we have. We wouldn't have the sense of planet that we have without space.
While people like the Wright brothers are household names in America, Goddard is somewhat forgotten in history. Even as he was inventing his liquid-fueled rocket, he was ridiculed by some. He'd walk down the hall, even at Clark, say, yeah, how's, uh, how's that moon rocket going, Bobby? And certainly he was mocked by the New York Times in that terrible article, which really, in some ways, made him perhaps the reticent, secretive person that he became. In a 1920 editorial page feature, the New York Times dismissed Goddard's research, particularly the notion that a rocket could function in a vacuum. The feature suggested Goddard did not know the relation of action to reaction, and added that he, quote, seems to lack the knowledge ladled out daily in high schools. In 1969, the paper issued a retraction, which reads in part, Further investigation and experimentation have confirmed the findings of Isaac Newton in the 17th century, and it is now definitely established that a rocket can function in a vacuum, as well as in an atmosphere. The Times regrets the error. But what's most interesting about the retraction, it was written two days before they landed on the moon. He envisioned things like the vacuum train he patented, you know, years before he fired off his first rocket, which is the modern-day Hyperloop. He wrote articles about interstellar space travel, or what it would take for astronauts to hibernate. He had a lot of work with solar power, etc. so he really was way ahead of himself. But uh, he persevered on very quietly, but there was a lot of failure. Progress was slow for Goddard. Though space was the goal, his rockets only reached about 9,000 feet at their highest, and he didn't get much attention from the U.S. government before World War II. Space wasn't doing anything that amazing for a lot of people. You know, Wright Brothers put a person in it. Mankind had their first flight off the ground. Ultimately, you know, what Goddard did was get humanity off the planet, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as dramatic, certainly from those first stages. But, you know, when you look back at it and you think that Goddard fired off his first rocket in 26, and 40-plus years later, we landed on the moon. I mean, how is that possible? Half of someone's lifetime, they went from some crude experiment that almost didn't do much of anything to landing on the moon. And, and now we have probes in interstellar space, and we're exploring every planet in our solar system. And, you know, it looks inevitable that we're going to be a multi planetary species within the decade. To learn more about Goddard and Clark, visit robertgoddard.clarku.edu. Challenge Change is produced by Andrew Hart and Melissa Hansen for Clark University. Find other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. One, two, three. Clark! <laughs>